Welcome to Beyond Blathers, the podcast where we dive deeper into the insects, fish, and fossils you can find in Animal Crossing New Horizons. I'm Sophia Osborne. And I'm Olivia DeBercier. If you're looking for small Christmas gifts, stocking stuffers, or stickers to fit into cards for your friends and family, be sure to check out our store at etsy.com shop slash beyondblathers as soon as you can to see all the stickers, postcards, and sticker sheets we have for sale. I would definitely try to get an order in ASAP so we can try to get it to you before the holidays. But yeah, I think they make great presents. Yeah, they're good for like, especially if you just want some stickers to like add some fun to your gift. That's a good idea. Yeah. So this week we're covering, I think, a large animal, both in the amount of things to say and also in the just size of the animal. Yeah, this week we're talking about the sturgeon fish. It's a very like mystifying and very ancient creature that you probably don't actually know a lot about. I'm sure most people have heard of this fish, especially if you live in Canada or the States. But yeah, you might not know much about it beyond the fact that it's big. This is actually going to be a two-parter because there is so much to say especially about conservation surrounding this fish. So this week we'll talk about the ecology of the sturgeon and next week we'll get into the threats they face and this whole conservation story. It's going to be very exciting and dramatic and a little depressing, I'm not going to lie, but I have very strong feelings about this conservation story and I really think it's one of those stories that like no one is talking about. I hate to be that person that's like no one's talking about this and of course, you know, tons <laughs> of people are talking about it, but like I think as a general public, if we talk about this story more, I I genuinely feel like it will help the sturgeon. So please tune in next week for the conservation story. Yeah, I'm super excited about this two-parter. I don't think we've done a two-parter yet for a fish. I don't think we have. Yeah, it's been it's been you know, insects and prehistoric things stealing the spotlight. So I'm excited for this. I mean, I guess actually probably sturgeon are prehistoric too. So <laughs> a little bit. Yeah, I guess what's funny about it is I feel like there's just usually not a lot of research uh, out there about fish. Like I feel like there's so many unknowns and there's still a lot of unknowns with the sturgeon, but there's like a lot to talk about like politically with the sturgeon. Totally. Well, I'm excited to get into it, but first let's check in and see what Blathers has to say. So if you bring a sturgeon to Blathers, he'll say, The sturgeon is a large and long-lived fish which has changed little in the last 300 million years. One curious behavior of theirs is leaping high out of the water and falling back in on their sides. The smacking sounds of their re-entry can be heard for up to half a mile away, likely more underwater. No one knows why they do it, but I like to think it's their impression of bread popping out of a toaster. <laughs> Aw, that's cute. That's interesting to me because I don't feel like that is that strange of a behavior. I don't know. I feel like I see fish flying out of the water all the time. You know, I don't know. Maybe I think I it's different if you're like in a river and then something the size of a dolphin just comes like flying out of the water and then like really ungracefully hitting the surface like I feel like that would indeed be like pretty alarming and do they really not know why they do that yeah well I think they have some suspicion that it has something to do with lampreys uh which are like I guess you would probably call them a parasite that like clamp on 
And so sometimes sturgeon will have like multiple lampreys on them. So they might be trying to kind of shake them off. Uh, But I don't think there's like a specific definite reason why. But that's probably one of them, at least. Right. Interesting. Yeah. So for this episode, I want to bring us through the history of the sturgeon as best as I can, because it is very long and complicated history. So we'll talk a little bit about their taxonomy and their prehistory. And then we're going to go into like the human impact and the human relationship with sturgeon and a little bit about their ecology too. So to start off, sturgeons are part of the order Acipensiriformes. And Blathers mentioned that this is a very long-lived fish that hasn't changed a lot from the past many millions of years. But fish of the order Acipensiriformes are known from around 200 million years ago, so not quite 300 years ago. A little bit of a fact check for Blathers. Um, but also, it's not necessarily wrong. It just depends on where you want to draw that line about when something like officially evolved. I put that in quotes, but like, yeah, it's all about where you draw the line. But more accurately, the first sturgeon that are part of today's sturgeon family can be traced back to about 94 to 100 million years ago. This would have been the late Cretaceous. So this partial skull of one of these early sturgeon was found in my home province of Alberta, Canada, along the Peace River. And this sturgeon was about five meters long and likely lived in a delta off the West Interior Seaway, which was an ocean that once split North America in half. Today, there are no sturgeon in the Peace River, although a small number can still be found in the North Saskatchewan and the South Saskatchewan River basins. Sturgeon definitely look like they swam right out of the Cretaceous. They have this very long, almost duck-like snout. It, it kind of points upwards. It's kind of an amazing, unique feature. It's It's it gives their face a really bizarre shape. In some cases, I think it's really cute. And then I was watching a YouTube video and there was this picture of a sturgeon um, just sort of like lurking in the water and it was huge and bulky. And it was probably one of the scariest things I've seen. <laughs> like the scariest photo yeah. of a fish. It, it will haunt me. It had like these little beady eyes too. So in some cases, they're very beautiful. In some cases, maybe less so. But my favorite thing about them is that they have this like crest of scales running from their head to the end of their tail, which makes them look like some kind of sea dragon. And these sharp scales run in these little lines across their body and the scales themselves are called scoots. They start out very sharp when the sturgeon is young, but as they age, those scoots start to sort of wear down and become smooth, smoother. And in some cases with those older sturgeon, it kind of looks like they don't have scoots at all. So just wanted to point that out. Their fins are also very large and angular and their tail fin is shaped much like that of a shark. It's called a heterocircle tail. So it's got kind of like a tall... Um, sort of upper part and like a shorter lower part. It's it's just very shark-like. And they also have this sort of sucker-shaped mouth and these amazing little whiskers called barbels at the bottom of their face. So ultimately, that along with this gray color that they have, they kind of look in some photos like these sort of ancient wizards of the sea and like the <laughs> rivers. Like they just look so old and their eyes are like kind of sunken and small. They just have such a character. Apparently, if you look really close at them, they can also have this iridescent sheen to them, which is also very beautiful. I love that description of them as like wizards and 
I didn't realize that they have such cute names for their body parts, like scoots and barbels and stuff. Like, that's so cute. I love the name scoot. It's so funny because the scales on the bottom of a snake are also called scoots. And oh. a lot of different sort of like large scales are called scoots, like just like physically large, which is kind of funny. So I'm not, I'm not sure what the etymology is of that. It's for scooting around. Yeah. Yeah, but I definitely agree. I mean, I think when you see them, especially when you see like pictures or videos of them kind of like moving just below the surface or sort of like like where you can kind of just see them and they're so big and scaly, like you can totally see why people thought monsters, like sea monsters were real, you know? Oh, for sure. And like, I don't know, there's some things I read that were like, this is what inspired the Loch Ness Monster. And I'm like, okay, well, there's a lot of things I think in the water that yeah. inspire Loch Ness Monster. This one has a very like alligator-like appearance. Like it's it's a cross between an alligator and a shark, but also like a cute duck or a dolphin. I can't decide if I find them really cute or really, I mean, monstrous in a way. Or, or really elegant and beautiful. I feel like they have such difference in character depending on the individual. Yeah, they definitely toe that line. That's interesting. And I mean, speaking of their size, which is part of what makes them seem so kind of majestic, but also maybe monstrous, how big can they get? So for me, this is what makes them most prehistoric of all. Like, depending on the species, they can be quite small, like, you know, a foot long, or they can be as big as eight meters long and one ton and a half in weight. So that means they can be up to 26 feet long. That is bonkers. And so this really huge size is the size of the biggest species of sturgeon, the aptly named beluga sturgeon. Wow. 26 feet. I can't even picture that. I have no like frame of reference for that. I feel like I have a good frame of reference because the zoo I used to work at, at the very front entrance, we had like a little kitty spray park and there was this sort of life-sized sturgeon that like was sort of like sculpted into the ground and then like little bits of water would just come like shooting out at the kids. It was really cute. Oh. Another amazing thing about sturgeons is that, as Blathers mentioned, they're extremely, extremely long-lived. They're just like, as I said, the wizened old wizards of the river. Depending on the species, they can get upwards of 100 years old, even more, very likely. Um, there's a lot of debate. Some people say even 150, but, you know, to be safe, most places say 100 years old. And even the ones that don't live quite up to 100, they can still live like 30 to 60 years. It's incredible. Wow. Yeah, that's amazing. I mean, it's not hard to believe given their size. That's like they're like trees. <laughs> yeah, honestly, very much like trees. It kind of reminds me of like the Greenland shark as well, which is quite large and also extremely long lived. Yeah. And really has that kind of like, yeah, wise, withered look to it. <laughs> like an ancient stone, like a boulder. Where are they found? I mean, you've talked about Alberta, and I know they can be found here in BC too, but where are they found around the world? Yeah, so there's 27 species around the world. There's species in North America, some in Asia, in West Europe, and the greatest diversity is in the Ponto-Caspian region, which encompasses parts of Russia, Eastern Europe, and the Middle East. So really everywhere in the Northern Hemisphere. 
The other thing to note about where they live is that sturgeon are very similar to salmon in that many species will spend much of their lives in the ocean, but migrate to fresh water to spawn. These are called anadromous fish. So not all of them will do this. Some will stay in the same river system their whole lives, but all of them will spend part of their lives in fresh water at least. The amazing thing is that some of these migrations that they do can span upwards of 3,000 kilometers, and that's like driving across over half of Canada for a migration. Wow, that's amazing. And it definitely hints to me towards conservation issues because that's something that is like a huge issue for salmon as well with their migrations and spawning and but we'll get into that later. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I mean, somehow I almost feel like these fish have more problems to deal with than salmon, which is a lot. Um, <laughs> That's saying yeah. quite a bit. <laughs> and so they go to the rivers to breed. Could you talk a bit more about their reproduction? Yeah. So usually they like to lay their eggs in the crevices between rocks where the eggs will be nice and safe from strong flowing water or potential predators. The females will come and drop the eggs into the current and the males will sort of swim by and fertilize them. And then the eggs develop this sticky coating and that helps them stick into these crevices. So they will do this breeding usually pretty far up a river system. Populations will have specific places that they go to to breed, which will come back to haunt us later when we talk about conservation. Much like salmon do, you know, they'll go back to this very specific location that's unique to their population. And in some cases, you can have huge groups of sturgeon spawning together. And in some cases, you know, it's not such big groups. So there is a lot of variation between species. But like I said, ultimately, they want to get those eggs into the nice, safe rocks. And then once the eggs have hatched, the rocks also provide good places for the little baby sturgeon to hide. And young sturgeon can be really small in the case of lake sturgeon, for example, which you can find in like eastern Canada uh, in the Great Lakes. The young hatch to an inch long and then they grow over, they grow to be over a meter long as an adult. So they're really cute and tiny when they're little. Now, from this point on, it's a long walk or I guess rather swim to adulthood. Sturgeon are really slow to mature. Females mature at around 10 to 20 years of age. In some cases, I read that they can take up to 35 years to mature. For males, that's a little bit lower. It's about 5 to 15 years. But this means that sturgeon have to survive for a very long time before they are able to reproduce. And they may not reproduce every year after that, depending on the species. Some species may even go seven years between reproductive cycles. Others will go every year. So it really depends. Now, for anyone who's listened to our show for a while or anyone who knows a lot about biology, you may have sort of alarm bells going off in your head for good reason. Tuck this bit of information away for later because we'll come back to the reproduction when we talk about conservation. Just remember that they are slow to mature. Yeah, that's a a red flag. (laughs) And what do sturgeon eat? Yeah, so for this, let's think about those barbells again that they have on the bottom of their face, those little whiskers. And those whiskers are there to help them feel around as they're coasting sort of near the bottom of the water so that they can find food to suck up with that big suction mouth of theirs. They don't have any teeth, so they have to eat pretty soft things, usually 
like leeches and snails and little clams and insect larvae. So all of these things are called benthic organisms. Because it's basically vacuuming up everything under its mouth, it's also sucking up a lot of debris, like a lot of silt and stuff that it can't actually eat, and all of that debris gets sent back out through its gills. There are also some species of sturgeon that will eat, mostly plankton, and there's even, like the beluga sturgeon will even be an active predator, so it will eat other fish and it'll hunt them. But it doesn't have any teeth? Yeah, apparently just sort of like crushes them or something. I'm not fully, I don't really understand how that works. That's funny. I just saw a picture, that really scary picture I was talking about (laughs) before was like a beluga sturgeon like with a massive fish in its mouth and it was just like, its jaw was just like open and gaping. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm just like forever haunted by by this beluga sturgeon. Anyway, I don't understand it. But as I've learned, actually, even learning about my own study species for my master's, apparently you don't need teeth to eat things that are extremely solid. Good to know. So I don't know. I'm sure they've got some way of sort of breaking apart these fish. So that's the ecology of sturgeon. This ecology has been developing over millions of years. And during this time, they've lived through all of these massive extinction events and they've spread across the world and then humans come onto the scene. So we're going to talk a little bit about the human history here. Sturgeons have been a part of our history for a very long time. Their image is depicted in ancient Egyptian temples. They've also been represented on coins from 600 BC from the city of Carthage, which was a major trade empire on the coast of northwest Africa, where Tunisia is today. Even in ancient Athens, sturgeon were extremely rare and expensive, and apparently a bowl of their meat could be sold for a hundred sheep in a bowl, which sounds like a very fun anecdote. I don't know how accurate it is, but I like the idea that, you know, Sheep and bulls were currency. Does sound expensive. It does sound expensive. That's a lot of sheep. Yeah. And then in 14th century England, King Edward II proclaimed that any sturgeon caught had to be delivered to him. And (laughs) he wasn't the only royal who made such kind of ridiculous demands. The royalty (laughs) of Spain and Denmark also were like, hey, this is a great idea. We love the taste of sturgeon. We love some caviar. Please give it to us. But of course, caviar wasn't always a luxury item. Initially, it was a peasant dish, something very much cheaper than meat and easier to access. The Russian Orthodox Church would have these really long fasts. And during these times, the church recommended that they replace meat with sturgeon caviar and the cider-like beverage kvass. Now, over time, caviar became this food for the elite. But even into the late 1800s, people were feeding caviar to their livestock because it was so cheap. Now... That is an entirely different story. As populations of sturgeon have been steadily decreasing, caviar has become a rare and expensive delicacy. A kilogram of beluga sturgeon caviar can cost as much as 10,000 American dollars. And today, sturgeon caviar is sometimes called black gold. It's kind of interesting. In the late 1800s, there was what they called the black gold rush in the States where a bunch of people came in and were like, we need to find sturgeon and we need to get caviar because this is worth a lot of money. And it very quickly depleted the population, especially because sturgeon, I mean, to get this this caviar, caviar is an unfertilized sturgeon egg. So they would hunt for female sturgeon, but trying to determine like a female from a male sturgeon Uh, not always 
super easy to do. So very often they just be like fishing for all sturgeon, not just the females. So overall, it was very, very detrimental to their populations. Still is all over the world. But yeah. Yeah. I was definitely going to ask about caviar. And it's wild to think about caviar being fed to livestock. And I know. What a a concept. They were literally like, yeah, they'd feed it to pigs. Wow. Um, Lucky pigs. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. And like when you look at the pictures of this stuff, it really does look like a lot of small tapioca balls. And I love tapioca in my bubble tea. So (laughs) it did look a little appealing. I'm not going to lie. I'm not sure I've ever had caviar. I've had it on like my sushi, but it's not black caviar. So I don't even know. Would that roe? Is that what it's called? Just roe? I think so, just like fish eggs. But oh, okay. I didn't. I don't think I don't that's considered caviar. Oh, I don't know though. Yeah, because sturgeon caviar is literally just a roe, but they call it caviar because they're fancy. I should, for the next episode, find out if it actually tastes really good or if it's just like <laughs> <laughs> it's like the equivalent of like a Gucci symbol on like a really ugly bag, you know? Yeah, just the just the label. Yeah. I'm curious. Anyway, so let's examine the evidence so far that we have about humans and sturgeon and why maybe we might be concerned about the populations of sturgeon. The first is that sturgeon are slow to grow and to reproduce. Sturgeon are also really big. They're very impressive looking to catch. And they even travel the same paths year after year on their migrations. So if you know where to look for them, you could probably find them. And they're crossing all of these different country boundaries, going up these long rivers to their breeding grounds. As I've alluded to before, this is an extremely endangered animal. Not only that, but according to the IUCN, this is the most endangered group of animals on the planet. Of the 27 living species, six are endangered or vulnerable. So that's the lowest level of endangerment. 17 are critically endangered and four of those 17 are probably already extinct. That makes 23 out of 27 species threatened. But looking at the reports, the other species that aren't considered threatened are also probably like not doing well from, you know, the various reports I was reading. It seemed like they're like, they might not be labeled as threatened, but they're threatened. So I'm actually going to leave on this very like depressing cliffhanger today. Next week, we're going to talk about the politics, the drama, and why I was so angry to see a man holding a sturgeon on our friend's online dating app. Please come back to listen to this episode because I'm really excited about it and I think it's going to have a lot of intrigue. So yeah, we'll leave on that cliffhanger. Yeah, I'm so excited for next week. And yeah, I hope everyone will tune in for that. I need to know how this story continues. And yeah, thank you so much, Olivia, for all your research. You've put so much into this. That's why we had to split it up into two. And thank you so much, everyone, for listening and for tuning in. The best way you can support the show is to tell your friends about us. Word of mouth just really means so much. And follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Beyond Blathers. And check out our TikTok at Beyond underscore Blathers to see Olivia's really fun vlogs. Yes, and don't forget to take a look at our shop at Etsy dot com slash shop slash beyond blathers tune in next week to learn more about the insects fish and fossils you can find in animal crossing new horizons bye bye <laughs> <laughs>